0: What's going on, guys. Welcome into today's episode. I am very excited to be welcoming many new listeners from all the different podcasts of our hosts of the King's Table. So, if you are tuning in and checking out Millionaire Mindcast today for the King's Table episode from The Rich Equation, from Investing for Freedom, from Real Estate Rock Stars, I just want to welcome you guys and say thank you for tuning in. The support, the feedback, the text messages. The emails, all of the growing listenership that we've been seeing each and every week on the King's Table has been nothing short of amazing. And honestly, it it just shows a little bit of validation that what we're doing here, we got something special. And the reason why we know we got something special is because our downloads are rapidly growing and you guys are giving us that real-time feedback. So keep it coming If you haven't said what up yet, if you haven't dropped us a note yet, be sure to text in at 844 447 1555. If there's comments, if there's feedback, if there's questions, that is the best way to reach out to me and all of my co hosts on the King's Table. Today, we dig in on a great episode, really getting some real time feedback around what's going on in each of our businesses and what are we seeing? What are the impacts of the global economy, the war? you know, just the data that is coming out that we love to track and dig in on and how we're navigating that in our own business opportunities right now. We also dig in on what's going on with, you know, this impact of the Fed and their policies and how that's really impacting the economy as a whole, but specifically real estate. And we got into a very interesting discussion around, is the American dream dead or is it just evolving? We talked about how what we're seeing in the hospitality industry and the commercial real estate market is unfolding and what could be coming up right around the corner. How do you take advantage of that? How do you protect yourself from that? Is the real estate industry resetting and who's actually benefiting from that? Is the government gonna come and bail out real estate or not? The discussion around you know mortgage and equity and how that can affect home ownership and younger generations for building wealth. It was a really great topic and uh, discussion today. So, we are excited to have you listening and tuning in. Uh, for those of you who haven't checked out the millionairemindcast.com before, if you enjoy the episode, all I ask that you subscribe. Most importantly, that you leave a review and support us, this community. Um, and don't forget to check out millionairemindcast.com. We've got a ton of great tools and resources for you guys in the Millionaire Mindcast store. Net worth and personal financial statement calculators, income and expense calculators, flip calculators, uh, habit trackers, the Rich Life Planner. For those of you that are big goal setters, that has been one of my staple products that I've used for my goal planning and tracking over the years. Um, And we just relaunched the store. So be sure to check that out at MillionaireMindcast.com. And with that being said... Uh, Thank you guys again for tuning in. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dig into today's episode of The King's Table. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process, and in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a
1: Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Welcome to The King's Table, another episode, episode number 12 of The King's Table. Uh, I'm your host, Ashish Nathu. I am joined by the one and only Maddie A. Atchison from Sacramento, California, the Hero Hospitality. Good morning, Maddie. Uh, We okay. also have the sage, Micah Yala, calling in with his beautiful Investing for Freedom hat today. I love it. And also, Mooch just couldn't miss another amazing episode with us. Had to call in from his car. That's how dedicated we are to this podcast. Good morning, Mooch. How are you? Good morning. Doing good. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad I could join. Yeah. Well, today's going to be a, an interesting episode, everybody. We're gonna maybe we start out with sort of market outlook, market updates. What's going on within your business in terms of metrics that you're watching. What are you concerned about? What are you seeing happen? What decisions are you making that are affecting, um, you know, your short term, long term decisions? What data is affecting your short term, long term decisions? And uh, let's just kind of start there. There's a lot of economic turmoil still out there. I think the listeners could get a lot of benefit about listening about what are we doing every single day. So let's kind of go around the table. Let's start with Maddie.
0: I'm just paying attention to a lot of the the data that's coming out right now. And you know, it's always it's always a look in the rearview mirror for where we're at today, right? And you know, a lot of the the lagging data that comes out really is is a snapshot from, you know, the last 3 months. And I and I feel like what we're starting to see come out is really what the Fed has been trying to do, but it's going to be really interesting to see how this kind of plays out for the remainder of the year and heads into 2024. So I'm just going to read off some data that I've been tracking. And most of my stuff that I track, obviously, I look at a macro perspective, but a lot of it is on the real estate front, right? Because I'm always looking for opportunities, as well as protecting potential downsides. Inventory is, you know, starting to slowly tick up in certain mm-hmm. markets. Um, new listings, which obviously are a measure of seller's putting homes up for sale were down again this week by 4.4% from one year ago. The total housing inventory registered at the end of September uh, is up 2.7% from August. It's still down year over year. But again, we're starting to see a little bit more come into the marketplace. And the challenge is, you know, a lot of homeowners are in a position where they're sub you know, 5% rates. And if you know, they were to move, uh, they're going to struggle to find new properties that they can actually afford, right? So it's a, it's a weird scenario, unless you're really in a distressed situation or position, why, why would you want to move? And, and what is out there that actually entices you to move? Um, mortgage applications are at a multi-decade low, Hotel occupancy, I like to track what's going on in terms of travel and tourism, you know, and we're starting to see occupancy is down 2.3% year over year. Average daily rate is up, which you would expect with inflation, but that's only at uh, 3.2%. And then, of course, home sales data came out this week. Uh, Existing home sales decreased uh, in September to a new cycle low. They declined 15.4% year-over-year compared to September of 2022, and 30-year mortgage rates hit 8%, uh, which is obviously a new high. California home sales specifically 21.5% down year-over-year. And then I know Aaron just touched on this a little bit. We're actually, you know, for a long time, forbearances were very low, foreclosures were practically non-existent and obviously you had a lot of those moratoriums that were preventing a lot of that once those were removed we knew it was going to at some point start to maybe jump up a little bit but the number of homeowners hit with foreclosure notices in the third quarter of this year jumped 34% from a year ago to nearly 125,000 um and that is up 28% from the previous quarter so I'm going to be very interested to be paying attention to and maybe you can speak to this a little bit Aaron on what you guys are seeing at Roddy's foreclosure service and a lot of the data that you guys are tracking. If that trend is continuing to pick up, being that you guys are on the front lines, you're probably going to be able to get a little bit more of a pulse than what we're going to you know, see come out in the next three months. Um, and then, of course, affordability is still crazy low. You know, you look at, with mortgage applications dropping to the lowest since May of 1995, you talked a little bit about it, Aaron, on the episode with Vivek and you know, how that really has impacted the real estate industry with rates being where they're at. And it's so expensive, the housing market, that homes would have to crash 35% or mortgage rates drop four percentage points to make it considered affordable. And we've got a third of Americans earning $150,000 a year or more saying they're living paycheck to paycheck right now. I know you posted something a little bit earlier today on your Instagram, so it to me, it feels like things are slowing and slowing relatively quickly, and it's going to be very interesting to see what November and December data kind of show being that I think all of these rallies, all of these you know things that we're we've been hearing for people talking about in the market. Um, I don't think you're going to come. I think we're now starting to see some of the pain mounting, and I think it's going to continue to trend in that direction.
2: A few things you just mentioned, that I think,
0: are super telling and super wild.
2: Eight like percent thirty-year mortgages, right? highest since 2000. And I think I have yep. talked about it in previous episodes that, like, what happened. That was, the rates were kind of always like that, but after September 11th happened, that was like the first time. The government said, "Hey, we need a really, really low uh, lower the Fed funds rate lower than we ever have before to stimulate economy." And so prior to two thousand, really prior to September eleventh, uh, two thousand one, the rates kind of hovered at these higher rates, and in and out, six and a seven and an eight. It's kind of like the way that it worked out, you know. And and then September eleventh kind of changed the game. So I think we're now we're going to be waiting to see if you know the the future Fed future next 10 or 15 years it's going to be more similar to like 1990 to 2000 where they where it's just kind of more steady and it's higher rates and it's slower stimulus and lets kind of the system do its do its thing on its own or if they're going to go back to you know lower rates in order to stimulate the economy and things like that because the only time we ever broke that you know barrier was when the, the, the intentionality was to like spur spending spur the economy so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I also think the statistic of prices need to drop 35% to make them affordable again. Like something's got to give, right? Yeah. Or nothing has got to give and transactions just won't happen, right? So for transactions to happen, and it's maybe for the first time you know, since I've been in real estate, it's this crazy stalemate where people are like they want to move, they want to sell their house but they can't and their best option kind of becomes you know keeping the house they have or, yeah. and or renting the house they have and going and renting a different one the option is no longer we need to move so we need to sell our house and buy a new one and you know i don't know there's a, a recent chart i got to try to pull back up that just showed in 2023 we're gonna have essentially the fewest amount of
0: transactions than we've
2: had over you know much number of years just a it's a really fascinating number. So something's got to give or nothing's got to give and it's just going to completely change the way life. life. We could just see you know, Fed policy like we had in the 90s. Um, and we could see just people. Real estate wasn't a giant business in the 90s. Real estate became a giant business after September 11th. It was always a business, but it became a giant business after September 11th. If they go then maybe maybe the real estate industry is be really just nothing like people have seen over the last five, 10 years and It's happened before. The world will be fine once they adjust. There's a lot of people that have made their life and they living around uh, real estate love to make the big adjustment. My last comment to add to that, you talked about foreclosures. Uh, so the, 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 the people from Bloomberg have been calling me a lot. So they're digging into statistics too and they're about to put out a big article and they're using all of our statistics out in, in Texas for it. But Houston, for example right now has, you know, more foreclosure postings than they've had since, you know, the early 2000s. But it is the first time post-COVID that the number of foreclosure foreclosure postings in Houston is higher than it was pre-COVID. A lot of counties are still, like, they're, they've ticked up a lot, but they're still not necessarily as much, as many foreclosures as we had before the pandemic kind of changed everything. But Houston, Texas is the first one to go over the top. And you try to figure out what makes Houston different, Right? And, and how could it be a, a leading indicator? Well, median income in Houston is much lower than a lot of different places. Right? The, you know, the price point of houses, it's still reasonable to find a $100,000 house there. It's still reasonable to find a $200,000 house there. Um, you know, a lot of these things like that. And so it's one of the, you know, the lower income areas. And I think that when we're seeing that trend, we're seeing less conventional loans in default. We're seeing way more FHA and VA loans in, in default that's been just going up. Month over month, and we're seeing it just on a lower end price point. Most of those people still do have equity, and it'll be a matter of people figure out how to help them get out of those uh, transactions. But it's it's just an interesting thought that I hadn't been having until really even the last week of maybe this is the way it is for a while, maybe, like for a while, eight percent rates, seven percent rates, like the it's like that for the longest time. You know, the biggest crisis ever, September 11th, changed everything, and COVID changed everything. And now we're seeing like these really stumbling results, and uh, maybe they'll go. Maybe they'll go back to hey, real estate doesn't have to be the stimulant of the economy.
0: Yeah, Jerome Powell said uh, in his meeting this week, inflation still too high, and he expects a period of below trend growth being much slower than people have anticipated. And I think that ties to your point, right? And the other thing noting on what you said, Houston, Texas, one in every 371 homes right now, at least in the metro area, receiving a foreclosure filing. So interesting. But I like, I think I was interested to kick it over to Mike and Ash on the comment that you said, which is, is is this a new way of life? Or, and how did you phrase that? Because I think that was a good kind of like, which... Which one is it? And maybe as you pose that question, share what your thoughts are on which, which side are you taking? Yeah,
2: I think, you know, and I think the, the way that I posed it, is, is this kind of the new normal? Is this kind of the way it is? Is Fed policy going to just go, Fed and government policy just going to go back to the way that it was in the 90s? Because real estate doesn't need to be the leading economic driver for the economy. And it became it was a it was it was a lever that they were able to pull after September 11th. And even then, it didn't work out. Right. They lowered rates. They told everybody do cash out refinances on your house and go like buy toys and stimulate the economy. I remember the Fed the Fed at the time saying that. And then, how those people got foreclosed on because they pulled up too much money. And then, when you know, prices adjusted, they weren't you know they spent all the fake money. So, I think what side am I on? You know, up until a few weeks ago. I would have thought we're going to be like this for a couple years. And then they'll go back to drinking the Kool-Aid and lowering rates to stimulate economy and things like that. More recently, I think now, I know you, you probably want me to pick one. I think now it's probably a coin toss, where it could go either way. And I would have said three weeks ago, I would have said like an 80% chance that three years from now, it goes back to the way it was, but it's going to be slow for three years.
3: Um. I said this a couple of weeks back, I think on our episode, maybe it was on a different one, but I, this whole concept of housing in the American dream and, um, you know, how we got here. And and I actually think that I think we're due for a deep, deep change. And so Aaron, I kind of, I kind of like what you're saying. And I agree with it, in the sense that like, I've, I've been feeling this for a while, like, I don't think things are going back to the way they were before and i think there's kind of an awakening around um you know real estate being that primary driver i love that aaron said it and i think things are just going to fundamentally change i mean i i think sometimes you know people are early but ken mcelroy has been saying this for years that we're going to turn into a renter nation and when i used to hear him say this in 2016 and 2017 i'm like and and ken's like been a friend slash mentor of mine for a while And I remember asking him on the golf course in like 2019. I'm like, Ken, what do you mean? Like, like, how do we just go to a renter nation? And it's what Aaron's talking about. It gets to the point where, like, there's this fundamental idea that, uh, you know, the average American, the majority of their net worth is wrapped up in their home. And that's a problem. Like as real estate investors, we've been saying that from like a counter argument for a long time, like your house isn't an asset. And this is what creates so many challenges. And the other thing that I want to say quickly, too, that I've just been thinking about, even when things are bad, and I don't want to downplay how bad it is, but like what percentage I mean, Maddie, if if what you said is true, like one out of every 371 houses is getting a foreclosure letter right now. That isn't a big percentage. And I'm not saying it doesn't affect us. But the reality at the end of the day is like, I remember in 2008, I was talking to my business partner then. And this is why I kind of Said, you know, I think we got to come back to our fundamentals. I remember talking to our business part, my business partner at that point in time, and his head was just in the gutter. He was like, "Man, people are losing their jobs, and there's foreclosures everywhere, and our business is gonna die." And I was like, "What percentage of people are actually getting affected by this?" And I'm again, I'm not trying to downplay the people that are getting affected, but what percentage of people are actually impacted, and what does that look like in some period of reset? And so I'm not saying that we don't have some challenges ahead but also like i think what aaron said is brilliant i think we had some really 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 amazing years of intense leverage i've been saying this for a while we have been drunk on negative interest rates do you guys remember the conversation in the late teens about you know negative interest rates and like how like how long can this go on and modern monetary theory and then all of a sudden covid hit and it made us forget about all of those crazy conversations that were you know what the big deal conversation was in the late teens Social security, and not to open up another can of worms, but when you look at like social security and how underfunded we are, and when you look at the fact that the average American has like $173,000 in their retirement account, I mean, literally the, the people that are like 10 years away from retirement, I think that average number, and I haven't looked at this for a while, I think the average number of the average American 10 years away from retirement has like 247,000 in their retirement. Like these are real problems that have been going on for a while, and then we just kind of forgot about all of this conversation modern monetary theory um social security the pension problems pensions are underwater and underfunded like never before but we forgot about all of that because of covid and then cheap interest rates continued and and all this free money and so the one thing that i'm not saying is that i don't believe that we have a deep systemic problem but i think aaron nailed it on the head where you know maybe this isn't really about real estate and actually real estate's going to have some challenges But at some point in time, we're going to have to get to some of the real challenges too that I'm just wondering, I literally wonder sometimes if we're just so in this modern monetary phase that like, I think the question sometimes is how long does this play out? Can this go on for three years, five years, 50 years? I don't know if anybody really knows. It's like, what's going to be the thing that pops the balloon? The reality is there's like, you know, there's bubbles in everything. And I think we're actually in a we're in a money bubble. Like, I think we're just in a money bubble and, and it affects everything. And so, Aaron, I think what you said is brilliant. Um, the last thing that I'll say, I mean, even Bloomberg, I was just looking at a Bloomberg survey that was done uh, like with economists from October 18, 18th through like the 20th or... It's, it's fairly recent. I think it was actually the 15th through the 18th or something like that. And what's crazy is that most of these economists actually are raising their US growth projections through 2024. Now they think that their like growth is going to slow down. But they stink. They still think that we're going to be in a growth environment. And so like what I'm really struggling with is like, when we talk about these fundamentals, and I mentioned this, and I think we should dive into it at some point, you know, what are the key drivers in all of our different businesses that we really need to be paying attention to, that are not like this macro news, because I can get literally 15 different articles to support any bias that I want whatsoever. I pulled up two different Goldman Sachs articles from three weeks apart, talking about a hard landing and a soft landing. So what that really Mm -hmm. says to me is the geniuses that run our country have no freaking idea what's going to happen. And neither do we. Real quick, what I do love is that we have Aaron... Who, Maddie, as you said, I mean, Bloomberg's calling him saying, Hey, we want some real time data. So I think it's great that we've got somebody that's like got the real time data on real estate itself. And who's also saying, Maybe real estate, (laughs) he didn't say this, but maybe real estate doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, in the big picture. So it affects Mm -hmm. all of us and it affects people in their daily lives. You know, what's interesting is a stalemate conversation, which Aaron brought up. My son, his lease on his apartment just came up in Austin, Texas. And it's $2,800 a month. And he went back and there's 53 units available in this apartment complex on Zillow, by the way. And so they went back to their apartment complex and said, we want to negotiate a cheaper rent and we'll stay. And they said, you can't do that. You have to put in your notice and move out and reapply. And I'm just like, talk about stalemate. I mean, I put myself in the landlord's shoes. And I kind of understand because... You know, if one neighbor gets to drop their rent by 400, then... But the reality is, is they're being unrealistic too about... They have 53 units available on Zillow right now. And they're going to let my son who's never missed a rent payment walk away. Talk about stalemate. We're in a really interesting time.
0: Real quick on on that point, Ash, because I want to get your your thoughts on it too. Just real fast. Is the American dream dead then?
3: The the American dream of homeownership... Might be dead, and by the way, I'm of the school of thought, not just because I'm a real estate investor, but I'm of the school of thought that maybe that was a bill of goods that was sold to the average American, just like a 401k, just like oh, everything else that. that the that the that the Wall that. Street cartel, you know, has programmed and and literally. What's the term that they use when somebody's like being groomed? I think it's groomed for like 50 years for to be like a mole or whatever. Like they've been they've been grooming us since the day the Federal Reserve was founded to think that the American dream is home ownership when in reality like I said a couple episodes back the key, the mor- mortgage literally means till death till death or do we engage, right? And so um, I don't think the American dream is dead. I think that maybe we need to rethink the idea of American home ownership being indebted to a bank for 50 years is dead and maybe needs to die maybe we need to maybe we need to shoot that philosophy in the head and then people rent from Man, us you, too if so. you
1: pull
0: on that thread and you, you think about that domino and how that topples so many others in the process of that idea of home ownership is dead that would be a very interesting dis- discussion but ash what are your thoughts
1: well <clears throat> you guys have So much residential market experience and knowledge, and I think the listener can get a lot of insight and benefit from all of this. On my side, you know, I'm I'm very much in the hospitality market. I've been studying the commercial markets as well. And definitely just through conversations on the commercial side for just half a minute before we go to the hotel side, is that transactions are slowing down in every major category, including industrial, which I thought was super fascinating. Because I think everything everybody thought pre post COVID that in, even industrial was insulated from COVID and and all the the work from home stuff and uh, all that right and and reducing retail so even industrials being affected which is kind of a scary thought if you think about it so um, and prices are still high on commercial properties uh, they're at least thirty percent too high. And prices are just not just going down. So I think that's just super fascinating. That's just my ground game knowledge. On the hotel side, um, and just general economy, I think is really interesting what's happening. So you said the word stalemate. And I think that what I'm observing before I get into some data points that I'm looking at, is that a lot of hotel companies, commercial real estate companies, are in the business not only of Of owning assets, but they make most of their money when they buy and sell assets. And what I've observed is that real estate hides a lot of operational inefficiencies. Because when you can make big real estate pops in a buy and a sell, you can solve a lot of these operational inefficiencies of bloated overheads, poor management, poor operating management, things like that. And so, what's going on in the hotel market? is that, and this is nationwide, all different types of demographics, categories, two-star, three-star, four-star, five-star, it doesn't really matter, is there is literally a stalemate going on that nobody is transacting whatsoever. So there's no assets moving whatsoever. Now, the dynamics at the operating level are healthy. Maddie, you mentioned this a little bit. Um, You know, the TSA checkpoint travel numbers are higher than they were pre-COVID, which means people are traveling through airports more than they were pre-covid, both business and leisure, okay? ADRs are higher, September 2023 uh US occupancy was 66%, ADR was 160%, uh Revpar was 106. So both of all three of those numbers are higher than they were 1 year ago. So all the metrics are in the right direction. Uh so the overall hotel market, throughput, travel, entertainment, all of that seems strong, which means people are still spending money both personally and within their companies to move and travel. I don't see that stopping. Um, you know, unemployment is pretty much at the same rate as it was pre-COVID. So we're at like three point something percent, like super low threes. In some industries, like accounting, accounting is single, like one, one percent. So. The pressure we're seeing in real estate, it's really interesting how we're spending. We've talked about this here on the podcast. Credit card rates are higher than they've ever been. Imports are really still strong. People are spending money. Amazon stocks through the roof. You know, unemployment is low. Travel is high. Like, what's going to fall, right? So, what I'm seeing is that... um, Let me me pull up this here, too. Is uh, just yesterday... PIMCO turned in $273 million of hotel assets that they bought like within the last couple of years. Just turn in the keys. Sorry, can't do it. So as interest rates increase, and you guys have said this on this podcast, you know, the short term financing situation, it's going to really hurt real estate companies. Their operating costs continue to increase. Their revenue continues to decrease, their debt continues to increase, and they cannot transact, they cannot sell out of their properties to get out of their problem. So the pressure is going to start building. I'm seeing customers where no, nobody's doing any new builds. everybody's doing renovations only, and the only reason they're doing it is because they have enough equity, they have to do it. the, pit, the brand is forcing them to do it, so they're forcing them to spend money to be competitive in the marketplace. But nobody is buying and selling hotels. so my, my thinking is, at least on the commercial side, is that in the next two or three years, you're going to see a lot of people turn in keys. They're just not going to be able to continue to own assets. And what's interesting is the hotel values are staying high. It's the only reason why these guys haven't gone out yet, yep. right? Is that nobody is saying, okay, you know what? I'll take a 20 30% discount, get rid of this asset, stop the bleeding, and walk away at an 8% interest rate. Instead let's just keep waiting let's keep waiting and then it's going to build up this pressure and a lot of hotel you know a lot of commercial real estate companies are private so we're not going to see this information until it starts to trickle but pimco is not a small company 300 million dollars of assets just i think that was um let's see that was 20 hotels across the country in three different states actually so just fascinating what's going on um, yeah, so we're being cautious. Um, business generally, import export trade uh demand is pretty heavy, pretty strong. Our estimating data is steady. The way we quote things, we have like a 18, 24, 36 month horizon because we have a slow cycle as you can imagine. So things are not falling off the cliff, which means people are still interested in looking at doing things. But I think that the pressures of higher interest rates, higher operating costs are going to really smoke out the bad operators. So that's that's what I think. And I think we've said this on this podcast. I think there's going to be a ton of opportunity. I think if you can be patient and you can build up your coffers and not let your current portfolio implode on you, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. It's just going to be patient. And, you know, or is it not going to correct? And there won't be any opportunities. And we'll just kind of ride this out. So who the hell knows?
2: I think one one quick thing I want to add to that. I think yeah, Ash's comment is so uh, it's so accurate in the fact that in real estate, a lot of inefficiencies can be cut from when you're selling. You're like oh I had lots of vacancies, I was losing money on it, so I got a hundred percent occupied and I sold it.
0: And so when that body thinks yeah,
1: pulled out, what you have to do, do uh just really dial in their
2: efficiencies and try to figure out what you like. is true that when bubbles pop other things are affected right when, it, when a commercial company loses hundreds of millions of dollars where does that trickle down how does it trickle down and or what what do you
3: guys think might do it and David Sachs said this four months ago on the All In podcast I'm curious if we're truly in this period of time where money doesn't matter um, I'm curious if you see the Fed step in and bail out commercial real estate now. Because I mean if they're if their job is to truly, you know, try to try to balance it without having us go into an implosion, they're obviously playing a very tight fiddle here. But again, there's people a lot smarter than me that, you know, maybe, maybe the bailout this time around is really just in the in the commercial real estate market. And Aaron, what I love about what you said too though, is, I mean, even if that happened, it's not going to happen just overnight. And and the effect of that you know, is pretty big. And so when we start thinking about, you know, whether it's layoffs, or, you know, things slowing down, or whatever those things are, I mean, that stuff begins to trickle down. I was actually I just messaged my operations manager on the manufactured housing um, portfolio and asked, you know, what's our current collections, and they're 93% right now. And that's pretty normal for us this time of month, by the end of the month, we usually hit about 96 you know, we haven't seen any downtick whatsoever. Like when we look at our core fundamentals, I haven't seen anything change. I have a waiting list. But you know, we're in this affordable housing space too, that is kind of like, um, it's, I'm not saying insulated, but it, it, when things are really good, people need affordable housing. When things are really bad, more people need affordable housing. So it's kind of like, we get into our own echo chambers. But Aaron, what you were talking about, I just saw a stat yesterday, and Aaron, you probably... Maddie, maybe you know the answer to this too, but I saw some stat where like a million realtors are expected to leave the real estate industry in the next three months and like another, I don't know, some same amount of mortgage officers. And, you know, when you look at that level of people that were closing transactions, even if it was only three or four transactions or or five, I realize the ones that are leaving are not the successful real estate agents or mortgage brokers anyway. But when a million people in any industry are not closing anything, to Aaron's point, I mean that has to start to affect us in 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 ways that we can't currently see. So that's the kind of leading indicator stuff that I love. You know, even hearing Aaron and and talk with this group about because you know to to get those indicators, Maddie, you were talking about lagging indicators. You know, the information that we're getting from GDP growth and and jobs data and all that stuff that's coming out from the last ninety days. Well, that's all important, but the reality is like what's happening today that's going to be affecting me thirty days from now. That's what I think we need to try to get. And obviously into the future, but I just wonder if we are in such a modern monetary theory point that maybe to Chamath's, you know, line of conversation all the time.
1: Well, I think we haven't, we also haven't expressed any metrics that are bad. Metrics are healthy and yet nothing is transacting. Everything's at stalemate. The people that brokers, I think business brokers, real estate brokers, Investment bankers, everybody is slowed down big time. So the question is, is what is the impact of that? And will people just look past it and just say, okay, we're, we're all waiting for the shoe to drop, but what if the shoe never drops and we just continue down, right? What if Mike's right? Hey, it just doesn't bloody matter. The reason why a million brokers are going to leave the market is because Maddie bashed on them last episode. That's exactly why they're <laughs> going <laughs> to... Good,
0: good. Get them out. No, but here's, here's what I'll say to that. Whether it's to brokers, whether it's to anybody in business, whether it's to real estate investors, this is where your product and service just has to be a little bit better than the average mediocre crap that 99% of the marketplace puts out, Right. Like if you're a little bit above average as a broker, you're doing, you know, the lion's share of the business. If you're a little bit better of a mobile home park than the one down the street, that's all dilapidated and beat up and has poor management and you're doing a good job, you're going to be more insulated, right? And that's mm-hmm. where I think you just got to be. I remember one of my first mentors always told me, he said, if you want to succeed at a basic level in life and business, all you have to be is a little bit better than shit. And that always stood <laughs> out to me because when you think about what's out there in the world and in and, and the grand scheme of commerce and business and the world in general and the people who succeed and don't succeed, right? Going back to Aaron's comment of like that little tiny line of inches, oftentimes it's just being a little bit better than crap because most people just don't have that level of discipline, attention to detail, of focus, of consistency, so for me, I think it's a good reminder that in times like right now, especially, you know, does it not matter? I don't know. But I'm going to treat it like it does matter. And I'm going to try and be that much better going back to Mike's, I've you know, comment that's been ringing in my head over the last couple months of, you know, wartime leaders versus peacetime leaders. You know, in times like right now, it feels like, you know, metaphorically, war is going on in a lot of facets of life and business and globally. And now is the time where you got to really lean in and be that much more dialed in that much more disciplined, that much more organized, that much more intentional of how you're spending your money, who you're spending your time with, right? Like now is the time to really not say it doesn't matter. It's the time to go, I think everything matters. And that's why we have to have these conversations and lean into this accountability uh, because it could be something that completely transforms your life. One little decision, one little relationship, one little opportunity can make the difference in somebody's life for the rest of their life. And these are the seasons when most people let the chaos throw them off their game, when the tornado is just spinning around you and all you can see is the walls of the tornado. There's people that know that even though this tornado is going on right now and I'm in the center of it, there's there's a lot of sunshine. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of good things going on outside of this storm. And I think too many people get caught in the storm and can't see past it. And we're in a pretty damn big storm right now. And there's a lot of confusion of what does this even mean? How does this all make sense? And that's why we do this show, right? Is to kind of sort mm-hmm. through our own thoughts and other people's comments and thoughts because these are the times that could just give you a little bit of an edge when most other people are just swirling around in the storm,
2: it is going to be a bailout commercial.
1: It's
2: only going to, it's going to be similar to the bailout that they did all the loans around the in 2009, 2010. And they said, like, hey, we'll get you these loans or slums. They'll get attack on a second. Mm-hmm. And some of them might do that to avoid some closure to be like, okay. Because they're all upside down, that's the only way so I could see a bailout that way which is forces you know, like a lower rate that gives them like a five year balloon or something. But that's the second off eventually. That it really only solves the bailout. That's the way they've done for sure. Sales yeah, it really oh, only solves the bailout if the values come back to be sold So I think they probably gonna be some sort of template.
3: Well I agree with what Aaron said. The real problem is that I mean, even if they do that, you said it'll be a band-aid, and the reason for that is because like rents are not coming back. Like we we have way too much office buildings, and so all the fundamental things are broken. Um, And so I agree that it'll be a band-aid. I think we're just in such this. uh, I think we're in such an interesting time to where they're probably and man, these guys are a lot smarter than me. I I don't know a lot about this, but the reality is like it ain't going to fix the problem as as aaron said what's interesting to me when we just and again trying to land this thing i literally just saw a wall street journal article that or the washington post actually just put this out like 45 minutes ago um biden just unveiled a 106 billion dollar foreign aid package hmm. if they can create 106 billion dollars for foreign aid they can create a trillion dollars <laughs> to help our real estate market And I'm not saying that that I agree with that or that I think they should, or I'm not, I'm not stressing my viewpoint. I'm just saying, I think we're in this period of time where like even wars, it's really interesting to me that we're like funding three wars right now. Um, You know, what does that do for us? It bolsters the economy. Like, I mean, there's, we're just in such a, and by the way, these problems were created long before we decided to hit record on Riverside today. Like these are deep systemic problems. And and the last thing I'll say, and I've said this before, every time we get to a period of time like this where re- real estate has to reset, which is what Aaron's really talking about, who benefits from that? The big banks, they just keep getting bigger. And so I don't know, I think mm-hmm. this is, the Bible talks a lot about transfer of wealth. And I think these are just really, really smart people that are engineering transfers of wealth. And most of us are just sticking our head in the sand and spending money on our credit cards and, and going out to dinner, which is what Aaron's like, that stuff is going to slow down. But I just wonder, I just wonder if the fundamentals are not what they were, you know, in 2008, when it comes to real estate specifically, or any of it, because I think the last thing I'll say, I was just saying this with my kids in Kara the other day, and I've said it every year since COVID hit. Why do I still have to pay taxes? Hmm. If we can just, if we can just print fake money? <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't get,
1: could, I don't get any price price of this. It. Let's talk about that. Like,
3: <laughs> not that any of us on this call are paying very much in taxes because we're real estate investors, but I'm just saying, like, just print more.
0: That it's a good question. So many people I, I have posed that question. There's not one person that I've seen a response given that actually made a lot of sense to me. And, and to the last point, and Ash, I'll kick it to you. I do agree with the, the government bailout on on real estate because it is it has been such an integral pillar of our economy for so long. And it could be a very monumental wave that does have a lot of impacts in other industries in our economy. I saw this was also another kind of little anchor point to why I think they would do that. We've been talking about there being trillion dollars in commercial real estate coming due in the next essentially three years between multifamily and office space being kind of the two main ones. And The Real Deal put out a little article on this recently. The U.S. government has too much office space, millions of square, square feet likely going unused. And the U.S. federal government um basically re- published a report that the a government accountability office report cited during a Senate committee meeting this month that they found that seventeen of the twenty four federal agencies it sampled were using an estimated twenty five percent of their buildings. And so when you think about the amount Jeez. of you know um i guess incentive that the government has being that they own a big part of that trillion dollars in office space they are going to have definitely a, a reason to, to keep that propped up, right? Whether it's getting used or not, or repurposed or incentivized to, you know, utilize it in different ways. They're, they're invested in commercial real estate more than the average American probably knows.
1: If there's a bailout, where does the money go? Right? So if there's a bailout, commercial real estate companies will lose all their money, give the keys back. Banks will suffer. And they're the only ones that have the power to get the money. So the government will bail out who? Who will they bail out? They'll just bail out the banks. They're not going to bail out us. They're not going to bail out small business owners across the country. That party's over, right? We already got the PPP money. That was a once flash in a pan time where that money trickled so quickly to small business. But if there is a bailout, where is it going to go?
3: I know you wanted to move on, but what Maddie said... Vivek said this when we interviewed him last week. He said if he gets elected, he's gonna, he's gonna decrease the budget or the the government by 75%. And the first thing that popped in my head, by the way, I don't disagree with him. I'm not, I'm not sharing my point on whether I think he's right or I think he's right. Like government waste. There's waste everywhere, as Maddie was saying. But mm-hmm. when I heard that, I'm like, oh my God, if you lay off 75% of the government, Can you imagine what kind of problems that creates when we talk about, you know, Aaron talks about like people not spending money at the movies and, and rents and you know how many government officials probably rent their home from people and, you know, are not going to be like, where are all these jobs? We have so many systemic problems. And so when I hear that, like I'm going to gut 75% of the government, I'm like, oh man, but the other side of that equation. And when I think about it, even what you were talking about, Maddie, with buildings, there's a building that, um, a good friend of mine owns in Nevada that he has a 20-year lease on with the government and the government stores seeds there for reseeding like sagebrush and stuff. Like, you know, I'm like, why? 20-year lease that they pay like $20,000 a month to just store seeds. And I'm like, and they're not even like active seeds that they're, these are seeds that they have around long-term that need to be climatized and all this stuff in case they need seeds for sagebrush. Like, why the hell are we planting sagebrush? It's, it's crazy to me, but that's the kind of waste that goes on out there. But the other side of the argument, when you gut 75% of the, uh, the government, that's, that's a lot point. of people that are now employed. So yeah. I'm just like, dude, I don't know where this ends other than, I mean, as, what's going to be the needle that pricks, pricks the Mikey, balloon?
1: Look at this too, okay? If you look at the last six months of employment change by industry, one of the top places we're adding jobs is the government. So not only is the government bloated, You look at non-farm jobs, uh, look like 1.4 million non-farm jobs were added. This is in the last six months, okay? But if you just look at this chart, because the numbers I I think are abstract, it doesn't really matter. But look at it. Service-providing industry is probably top. Uh, Private education and health services, number two, leisure, actually. And then, then this government, the third industry that has the most jobs being added in the last six months, where we have more debt than we've ever had, we're printing more money than we've ever had, is in the government. It's scary. So is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Are they just printing their own money so they can just continue to do it? So I don't know. Citizens got to have an opinion about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Powell, Powell said in his, uh, his address this week, he said that we know, and this is coming from the Fed, uh, we know that this you know, fiscal path that we're on is ultimately unsustainable. But then he moved on very quickly. I was like, oh, okay, yes, I agree. <laughs> but what, what what do we do? What are we going to do about that, Mr. Powell? Like, and, and no, and it, to me, going back to this point that Mike has said, right, there's so many systemic, you know, issues in this machine of what we have built in terms of the U.S. economy, which really... Drives and dictates so much of the global economy. And there's so much, you know, integration between all of these different facets of how this economic machine works that it's kind of like, you know, the medical industry giving you one prescription to solve one problem. But as a result, it creates two more symptoms of something else that then you go and try and treat those things. And it's, right? It never actually solves the real problem to getting us back to true health. you know. And so it's, it's one of those things where I'm going, how in the world do you find a way to solve some of these major systemic problems and no one really has a concrete plan for how you can do
1: that? Mike, I think, I think that we could, you know, the, the why does it matter or maybe it doesn't matter thought you know, Chamat said this a few weeks ago on his podcast, but how can it not matter? It matters at some point. You know, when we does the just, crow come to roost, man? There's, there's <laughs> got to be something that just smacks us around. We just maybe don't know it yet. Well,
3: Matt King sent me, he spoke at our, our couples event last year and he sent me this economic clock. Maddie. I don't know if you've seen that, but like, and I won't go into the weeds on this, but it's basically an economic clock of, you know, 12 o'clock is the top of the market. Six o'clock is the bottom of the market. And he made this comment. He said, we're not trying to time the top of the market or the bottom of the market. I just don't want to be buying when we're, when we're like coming up on the top. Um, and, and, but he's not trying to time it exactly. And I, that made so much sense to me. But the reality is like, back to your point, it, it matters at some point. But the reality is like, we have no control over what that point is. And so I think it comes back to the fundamentals in, in our own lives, not getting over our skis, making sure that we're collecting rents, making sure that we're doing good, solid deals. Um, you know, Aaron and I, uh, we, he mentioned this in a previous podcast, but there's a guy actually in GoBundance that is in a second position on a portfolio of loans that's kind of in bad shape. And when I was talking to him, like in his mind, he's not in that bad of shape. But I literally had Tim go through and like give me Zillow data and the last time they were sold and what does it rent for? And it's not in great shape. And so I think it comes back to our fundamentals. Pride. pride Or even like, uh, even just again, trying to time it or thinking that things aren't going to change. And the, the one thing that I realize right now, like in, in my portfolio, what's the most important thing that I can do? It's collect rents. It's mm. keep occupancy up it's take care of existing tenants. Like these are the things that sometimes when we get into these like 30,000 foot, you know, macro conversations, like I forget to ask my team, hey, are we staying on collections? Are we selling homes? Are we doing the things that we need to be doing? And so, Ash, I don't want to get away from the thing that you said, because at some point in time, it does matter. We just don't know when it is. I don't know if it's six months from now. I don't know if it's six years from now. And if it's 60 years from now, and we're the doomsdayer that is like, oh, don't do anything. Don't buy real estate because in six months, there's going to be blood in the streets and we don't do anything for six years or 60 years. Then you wasted you know, so much opportunity too. And that's why I brought up the economic clock because I don't think that any of us in this circle are smart enough to know <laughs> when that actually is. I don't even think the Fed is smart enough to know. Or again, 74 economists from Bloomberg were pulled in the last week and they have positive outlooks for for the growth of the United States in the next year. And I'm right. like, they're obviously a lot more educated than I am. And so I don't know what it is other than just come back to those fundamentals and just try to live. So I want to make it clear I'm not saying it doesn't matter.
1: I'm just saying that like it doesn't matter until it does. We're behaving in I, a way, right, Mike, we're behaving in a way that makes it look like it doesn't matter. The economy, the the government the people who are making these decisions. I think that's what we're talking about, right? Well, and even getting stuck. So let's talk about the real estate, you know, the housing again. And I brought this up a
3: couple of weeks ago, but I've dug into it more. 37% of homes in in America right now don't have a mortgage on them. Right now, the average equity, and this is as of the beginning of 2023, the average US homeowner now possesses more than $274,000 of equity. Now that's average, obviously That's average, but things have to really, I'm not saying that things aren't going to be really painful for a group of people. If you're losing your house, I'm sorry to hear that. If you've got problems in your business, I'm sorry to hear that. But 40% almost of houses in the United States of America don't even have a mortgage. And you know, the average has $273,000 of equity. And so if the median value of a home in the U S right now is 400,000, then the average home has 273000 of equity. So I'm just like, and that includes the ones that are paid off. So, you know, the numbers are skewed. But what I'm really getting at is like, yes, there's houses that are over leveraged. There's people that are underwater. But I don't think in the overall perspective, real estate is in that bad of a situation long term. I don't think so either.
1: I, I have a question. That's a really interesting statistic, Mike. I wonder the age distribution of that ownership and those mortgages. Meaning are these, are these baby boomers that have no mortgages and high equity in their home? And if let's assume that is, I'm trying to find it as we're talking, but if that's true, then we're, you know, are we creating a generational problem that we're just delaying for 20, 30, 40 years? And what, you know, Adding all this debt has to be affecting somebody. It may not be affecting 10 years, 20 years, but what happens 30, 40, 50 years? What happens to the 16-year-olds, right, when they retire? So are we just uh, ignoring a big problem and behaving in a way that, well, we all have, the United States, the real 2% five, you know, two of the wealth in the United States uh, has a ton of equity, has had two successful cycles has made good money. Unemployment is super low. But what's going on with the younger generation? If they can't afford homes, what happens? If, if they can't see wage growth, what happens? If they can't you know, employ people and start businesses, what happens? If they can't get into the real estate game early because it's too expensive or too difficult or, or there's no opportunity to transact, what happens? So i just fascinated. I don't have the answer, but just fascinated. Is there some generational thing going on? I don't know if you guys want to comment on that. I agree. I mean,
0: I I think, well, I think your assumption is correct, right? Is most of those homes that are paid off are most likely going to be boomers or Gen Xers. Um, But I do think there is a different mindset and mentality as there is with every generation in terms of what they value. And, you know, when you think about the younger generations, millennials, Gen Zs, now the iGen, you've got more and more of these generations that value less of what, you know, the historical kind of path has been to the American dream, which obviously included homeownership, a lot of it included college, a lot of younger generations are looking differently now about college, about homeownership, about, you know, ownership in general of things right and being more nomadic, being a little bit freer, you know, they they value experiences over possessions. And and I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg on that. Um but yeah. I also think, you know, there's also other things that we can't necessarily foresee yet in terms of what they value and how that's going to play out in the economy and in, you know, American culture and society as a whole, um being that, you know, they value things in technology different than a lot of people with, you know, I guess that established wealth uh, and financial capacity do. So I'm very interested to see what, again, like you said, those future generations put their money and their energy towards. But I definitely think there's a big shift right now. And it feels like there's a resetting of a lot of things in the world and society and culture going on right now that feels like maybe it's too early to tell or pinpoint but it's it feels like there's a major shifting of the tides right now in a lot of a lot of areas of life
1: Hmm.
3: do you guys remember in covid the um that dystopian art article that came out um by the world economic forum about how in 2030 um you'll own nothing
1: yeah remember that
3: that. so there was this there was and be happy about it um And so there's this article that basically said, you know, we're going to get to a point and they said, whether it's 2030 or whatever, it's irrelevant, but you know, where you kind of share apartments. So, you know, because you work in the daytime, somebody else works at nighttime. And so you'll just kind of share an apartment or if you want a blender, you call down to Mm. the, the person in the condo and they bring you up a blender. Anyway, the premise behind this was like, you know, we're moving to, as Ken McElroy said, a renter nation, like you're going to own nothing. And when I'm hearing Maddie say this, like, I actually think that we might be moving to a point in time where homeownership doesn't matter. We might have a generation where homeownership doesn't matter. We might have, maybe it doesn't matter. And, you know, when I I was looking at some statistics on um, homeownership too, and So the rate's around 64%. This is some interesting stuff. So Black Americans are 40% less likely to own their homes than their white counterparts. In 2019, the national homeownership rate for the first quarter of 2019 rose to 65.1%. It's dropped substantially since then. But this is what's interesting. Nearly 75% of white households outright own their homes. I'm like, there's so much like, when you're talking about like that older generation of like baby boomers that are, transferring that, because I've been thinking about the same thing since I heard that stat, I don't know, four or six weeks ago. And the reality is, is a lot of that's going to get transferred, some of it's going to get wiped out by um, tax, uh, tax. But you know, a lot of these people aren't, you know, they're going to be under a a certain tax rate where it probably doesn't matter that much. What I Mm think is interesting for real estate in general is a lot of the people that are inheriting these houses from their parents, probably aren't going to want that house that's in, you know, Middlefield, Ohio, And so they're going to sell it and some estate attorney is going to sell it. And it's probably going to lower the values because they're not going to probably get full value out of it. Some real estate investor is going to buy it. I was talking to, I think I brought it up on this show, but I was talking to a guy that is actually the land developer for a big construction company in um, the Phoenix Valley. They're buying as much land as they can right now because they're saying, you know, whether we turn it into build to rent or build to sell, we need housing. And I think yep. the whole build to rent thing, I, if there's one thing that I'm sure of, is that we need more housing. Yeah. Um, what's going to be, what's it going to be that creates affordable housing? I don't think it's going to be investors that buy one or two or three properties. I think it's going to be the big behemoths that have yep. access to cheap money that can buy rental properties. We're going to move, as Ken McElroy said, to a renter nation. And the World Economic Forum kind of just painted this dystopian idea in a way that makes it sound too unreal to be real, that we're actually gonna get to. You're gonna own nothing and you're gonna be happy about it.
0: Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors
1: yeah that's it's not an unreasonable argument, <clears throat> especially given the way that young people grow up today. Yes, they consume quite a bit, but they're so efficient with technology. you know you can get anything at your fingertips, so you know it's just a stimulation of the gig economy. People can uh, have multiple jobs, multiple businesses from their cell phone. It's just going to be a different life for that future generation. Um yeah so it's not it's not out of possibility.
0: Well um, I saw with on Canada today put out something that they were heavily considering and going further into discussions around universal basic income. I know other you know people in the US have talked about universal basic income as well. I've heard the topic come up more and more and more with affordability being such an issue. And when you think about some of these trends that we're talking about, right, you don't need to own everything, or you own nothing. And you don't have this incentive to go out and build and to innovate and to create in a lot of areas of of business and and commerce, right? And then you think about some of the mindsets and, and the trends of what is becoming more and more popular or just normal for younger generations, Universal basic income, even though it scares the shit out of me, becomes more and more of a potential reality for how this economic machine continues to get supplemented with the top owning practically everything and everybody else being okay with that as long as mentally and physically, right, I have what I need with, you know, my basic uh, income coming in and my needs being met, I'm I'm okay with that, right? And I see more and more of that mindset and mentality creeping into younger generations. That's very interesting and and scary to me. I will say that
1: it is scary. that
0: that that becomes more and more of a of a logical solution to many people when they're faced with a lot of the challenges that they're faced with one today and are going to continue. It seems like to be perpetuated, you know, as time goes forward.
1: Mm. We've been recording for a while. I want to get your guys' comments on what's going on in Israel, the capital, all that. So, <clears throat> uh, Mikey just mentioned too that Biden just signed a request to go to Congress for $106 billion for funding for Israel and Ukraine. A uh, few hundred protesters swarmed the Capitol yesterday uh, to protest. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly they're there. I guess they're protesting a ceasefire. A um, lot like January 6th, people just stormed in, big banners, a lot of chaos. Three hundred people were arrested yesterday. It's getting worse. The you know nothing's slowing down, man. It's getting worse. They've they've announced Israel has asked palace, uh, the people in Gaza on the ha- north half side to come south so they can basically go in a ground attack. It's bad, man. It is getting worse. So just love to close out maybe with these thoughts. What are you guys watching? What are you seeing? And any final thoughts as we close? Maddie? You know, what? I'll, I'll just close
0: it with this. I've actually really kind of tried to take a pause mm. in, in holding um, certain opinions on things around this right now. One, you know, I, I saw somebody's post the other day and I'll try and pull it up. Um, it, it resonated with me in a lot of ways, but I've been seeing a lot of propaganda coming out on both sides. A ton. And and so it's really made me, you know, I mean you've got main you got AP politico, you've got the Washington Post, you got the New York Times that are posting certain things and then retracting comments six you know hours later and posting something else out. And when you talk about wartime propaganda, like it that shit's real. And we're experiencing it firsthand right now, today Real and time. it's and it, and and, it, and all it's doing is and it goes back to that quote that I had said um I think on you know a week or two ago around how people who want to be more informed by reading the news actually become more misinformed and how dangerous that can be as a whole and so right now i'm um, you know, it's it's still heavy, right? Like if you if you have a heart and you're a human being and you care about humanity, you know, I think it's important to have empathy for everyone that is caught in the crosshairs of this. And at the same time, you know, I'm really trying to take a step back and make sure that what I'm forming my opinions around actually are rooted in some level of truth and and warranted with accuracy. Um, so that's kind of where my head's at with everything. But all I know is I was born on earth. I, my ethnicity is I am a human being. Um, my religion is love. And in this capacity, right, that's what I'm trying to lead with. Of course, you know, I, I could take a, a more granular approach to that. But I'm trying to be macro in the sense of going, there's good and there's evil and there's a lot of, you know, um, innocent people that are caught in the crosshairs of this and the, the government and the media are doing a damn good job of, of, you know, fueling the fanning, the flames of, you know, intensity and fear and anger around this instead of really doing things that I think are more based on unity and, you know, finding a solution. So it's unfortunate, man.
1: Mikey, bring us home. Yeah, I,
3: I agree with Maddie. I mean, even when you're asking the question, I'm like, I I don't, it's such a complex issue that I, I don't, I don't really, I don't have an opinion on it. Um, and again, I just kind of always come back to like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do anything about it. But like, I don't know how, you know, my opinion about what's going on, really makes any difference other than my daughter is in Bosnia, as I said, and she's supposed to go to Lebanon next week. And I'm like, is what you're going to Lebanon to do worth the risk that's there right now? And that's kind of like, you know, that's what I'm thinking through the lens because I mean, they just moved it from like a level three travel advisory to a level four. They're evacuating, you know, non-key personnel from the embassy in Lebanon. And I'm just like, I'm not saying that I want to put my head in the sand on things that don't matter to me, but my opinion doesn't really change anything about it, and I don't know how valuable it is to our audience um, either. And the last thing that I'll say on that, I actually had a guy on my podcast yesterday who's a psychotherapist from Go Abundance, and I was asking him questions because I just finished reading Deep Work, and there's I think there's some maybe value into this for the audience in times like this because, like Maddie said, you know, he's tried to refrain from looking at the news too much around it or commenting or whatever. As I was talking to this guy. After reading Deep Work, I've even gotten to the point where I want I want to start filtering the news that I'm watching on a daily basis. And so I was talking to him, I said I've been thinking Tim and I've been talking about this like getting a VA to do research for me mm. so that I'm getting the information that I need without having to comb through all of the information and you know what the psychotherapist said to me? He said that's probably not going to work and I'll tell you why. Your VA has their algorithm on their computer and the news outlets are going to show your VA what the algorithms are programmed to show your VA. And it's probably not going to be the type of news that you want to see. And I'm like, and he said, it's so biased and they're so intelligent now that literally they're showing you. And I think that's a lot of what has to do with even like, you know, Bloomberg showing me one article this day and another article like, they can literally show us what they think that we want to see based yeah. on what we watch. And so the psychotherapist was telling me, I don't disagree with you, but you're probably not going to get the information that you actually believe in or need if you have a VA getting it. And I was like, that just shows how freaking biased all of this is.
1: Well, yeah. I, I think to close on that, I'm actually glad I asked the question because I wanted those responses. I think it's really... Important for people to realize that the entire media system is designed to be binary, to pull you left or right, here or there. Take one yep. side. There's no human side. There's no earthling side. There's no love side. There's a Pick a side, bloody hell. You need to be on one side. If you don't have a side, what's wrong with you? And I think that's what I love about... I'm glad you guys both answered it. It almost validated. It was like a trap question. <laughs> um, How and dare you. I, it, it, yeah. it just proves it just proves the value of this group it, it 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 proves the value of this conversation because none of us fell into the trap of oh well I I mean can you believe this or can you believe that and no we just transcended right above it and I think that's what people need to hear more. be careful what you watch be have a filter what is this person trying to tell me? are they trying to convince me of something? are they trying to bias me of something? what are my natural biases as I read this? Man, got Maddie, you said, you said it beautiful, man. We are born on earth. What did you say, man? You're born on earth, your religion is love, and I'm a human being. Maddie, I'll give you the last word. Yeah. And he's Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took my 23 and me and I thought I had
0: like a, a little bit of mud in me. I am as Eastern European as they come. I'm like 99.9% validated as a freaking Viking, baby. I'll wrap up on this. So I was having a conversation with my wife, Marie, and I come in the house and she's sitting in my brown chair, which is my cozy kind of thinking spot, and she's crying. And I'm like, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she proceeds to to tell me that she saw some video of a little boy that's like Mm. three years old, you know, that is basically in the war zone. He had lost both of his parents, you know, a doctor grabs him and this little kid just starts breaking down and crying. And she's watching this and she's crying. She's like, I'm just, I'm so sad that so many innocent people are, are hurting and are, you know, caught in this, this mess and they have no chance whatsoever, no choice, no chance. And It really made me like take a step back and think and reflect. And I shared this with her. I said, you know, one, it is horrible. And I do empathize with that. And two, this is going on every single day around the world to millions of people. And if you're somebody that is listening to this podcast right now, if you were born in America or live in America, or you're in a developed country in general, you are, statistically one of the most privileged and luckiest human beings on planet earth. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I think about that going okay I fall into that category and I said this to my wife I said one you know we can we can still love you know and empathize with those people that are going through that. Unfortunately there's there's few things we can do to truly impact that change but here's what we can do is we as human beings This is why it is our obligation to go out every single day and live our best life, to push the boundaries for ourselves, for our families, because whether you think you have uh, an ability to make an impact in this world or not, a little ripple effect like that, you have no idea how far you showing up on a daily basis, grateful, intentional, purposeful, Going out to grab life big as best as you can to your own ability has to make a difference in this world. And when you do that over and over and over every single day and see what that compounds to at the end of your life, I think all of us will be shocked at the ground that we've covered, who we've become, and how many lives we've changed and impacted in the process of that. It may feel insignificant every single day. You try and go out and do that. But when you string that together over an extended period of time, It is unbelievable what that story can turn into. And and many people who are considered icons and legends in history said that on their deathbed. I had no idea what I was going to accomplish while I was in pursuit of trying to accomplish it. And so that was kind of my message to her. And I would say that to anybody else that's listening right now is if you're listening to this, you know, and you feel the weight and the heaviness and the sadness and the anger and the frustration that's going on in the world right now, it feels like it's definitely amplified more than it has been in recent history. That should be one reminder to thank God for your lucky stars and count your blessings and be grateful and also to light a fire underneath your feet to go, damn, I am so freaking lucky that I even have the opportunity to live this life and who am I? to sell myself or anybody else that I might be able to touch along the way short of me going out and grabbing life as big as I possibly can today. And that is what I told my wife, what I told my girls is what I'm telling myself. And hopefully anybody that's listening to this, that can resonate with you as well.
3: Received. Maddie, spot on, man. And I was just thinking yeah. too, like when we, when we think about like impact, I mean, even the propaganda of the World Economic Forum, like you'll own nothing. I'm going to find this episode. But when that came out in 2020, I remember doing a podcast then. Somebody's going to own all of that. And that's the thing. Like, it's all about our mindset. And Maddie, you just beautifully said it. Like, I mean, even with that, you can buy into that, that you're never going to own anything that, you know, home ownership's dead, that, you know, being able to build wealth is dead, all of that's dead, or you can get on the right side of that too. And maybe, maybe 90% of people aren't going to own anything. But somebody's going to own all of that. And I just want to be somebody um, yeah. on whatever it is. So I, man, beautifully said, Maddie, Love it.
1: Yeah, really beautifully said. Love you guys. Great episode. I'm going to ask the audience to do me a favor this week. I want everybody who's listening to this episode to go on all of our Instagrams and follow us, number one, because we're all producing really good content that continues to en- and encourage the conversations we're having here. Number two is go to all of our podcasts and follow and like and leave a comment on all of our podcasts. Leave a comment on what you like, what you don't like. And if you, I've said this before, if you're not enjoying the conversation, stop listening. But if you are, then make sure you share it with somebody because that's the cost of listening. So great conversation. Love you guys. Great episode. See you later. Peace. Peace.